listening to the March Mad Men podcast. This is your long overdue season finale of our excruciatingly thorough autopsy of horrors slasher subgenre. Tonight, we're going to hand out awards to some of the most sublime and ridiculous films that we've studied this season. And of course, we will crown one of our four finalists as the greatest slasher movie ever made. I'm John Evans, and I am joined in person by my longtime co-host and dear friend, Vic Wheat, the screenwriter behind such fine horror films as Devil's Pass and The Worthy. Also with us via Skype is Rich Eckersley, who is completing his third consecutive season on the show. Rich, of course, is an Emmy-nominated producer and documentarian. (laughs) Gentlemen, uh, I don't think any of us thought it would take us this long to reach this point and tie a bow on our tournament, but the big night is finally here. I know I could talk for quite a while about what my last few months have been like, but um, I will either avoid that or be brief and, as always, start with your reports. Rich, bud, what is the latest in your world? And please tell me you're not drinking water for our finale. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Of course you are. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Um, well, you know, we, we always do this on a weeknight because we take this uh, job seriously and uh, treat it like professionals. And uh, some of us have to wake up early and deal with work in the morning. I've been I've been good. You know, I've been I've been really like reflecting on the time that we've had to to do this particular season and how just like it's incredible that, you know, when this pod when this this season of this podcast started, my my kids were, you know, like two years old like now they're graduating college you know (laughs) career and uh and i'm about to retire Mm -hmm. you know like it's been it's been a long road guys it's been a long road but we did it our life's work is nearly complete as we round (laughs) the final final selection of the season yeah i mean you're only exaggerating a little bit really (laughs) yeah (laughs) just 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 mildly just adding a few years to it I mean, I'm pretty sure we started well over a calendar year ago. Oh, I just heard a door open. I think we have a couple of special guests. Um, Looking forward to this and a dog. Oh, gets better and better. Here we go. Uh, Vic, take it away. Introduce our guests. All right. So I got a special request for this podcast from two, I'm going to say smaller human beings. Uh, who have been badgering me throughout really the entire uh, uh, autopsy process. They want to know what the greatest slasher film of all time is. Now, I've got my two kids here, uh, Sawyer, who is nine, and Roland, who just turned seven. Boys, can you tell me, uh, either one of you, do you remember what the four finalists are for the best slasher film ever made? Uh, I remember. Wait, talk, talk into the mic. I remember Black Christmas. I remember um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I remember uh, Halloween. Same thing, except I remember either Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Friday the 13th Part 2. Well done, Sawyer. All right, so who do you guys, now having not seen any of the films, but having heard 
uh, probably a, an inappropriate amount of yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Which movie do you think should win? Roland, I'm going to start with you. A uh, Halloween. All right, Roland's rooting for Halloween. Sawyer, what about you? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right. That's one vote for Halloween, one vote for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that might be the top two. Anything else you guys want to say to the loyal listeners of the March Mad Men podcast? Hello. How are you? Bye. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> I love you, boys. Have a good night, okay? Bye. Sweet dreams. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Wow, that was amazing. And I, I am amused that Sawyer picked Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I do love that. He's a Sawyer at heart, for sure. <laughs> As I said, they're, they're, they're pretty spot on, except for the, the dark horse shout out to Nightmare on Elm Street 2. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you a rude awakening ahead of him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, and um, I, I did revisit that movie in the last. Actually, that's the first time I'd seen type, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And, and it has its charms. So uh, didn't make it into our field of 64, but uh, it, it's worthy of discussion at some point. Uh, so thanks for the write in vote there, uh, Roland. It was Roland, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was Roland, yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, that was that was amazing, uh, Vic. I'm I'm glad that you're corrupting these kids early. That's wonderful. Just doing my job. And Vic, what else is going on in your world, man? It's been a, I mean, full disclosure, it's been months since we've recorded. So uh, catch us up. Jesus Christ, months. Uh, I will tell you that I am right in the middle of a bathroom remodel that I am attempting to do myself. And it may be, John, that my my reach has exceeded my grasp here, but, you know, I'm giving it a go. I'm using a lot of profanity. Um, I haven't substantially injured myself with any of my saws yet. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, you haven't that's... chainsawed your own leg yet? I don't have a chainsaw yet for exactly that reason. But yes, but the uh, and the the circular saw has a a pretty pretty close to foolproof guard on it. But I'm working on it, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you still have all of your limbs and fingers, I think you have a few more things to experiment with and learn the hard way. That's John. It's the only way I learn things. <laughs> Speak, speaking of which, actually, I will say just as as Richard have brought up the the totality of all this that in prepping for this show. I went back through just kind of the the brackets and the and the votes and and you know I've listened to some of the old podcasts and guys this was stupid like how did we like doing this was just such a gargantuan task to take on 64 movies and arrive at at some kind of conclusion uh, you know i know we had to skip a few steps but like i can't believe we're here guys this is this is the marathon of horror movie podcasting the the ultra marathon of horror movie podcasting and i'm proud of all of us absolutely i mean i i am too i'm glad that we're all here we've all made it through this it it definitely has been a commitment for all of us uh varying degrees of sacrifice in our schedules but i i appreciate uh your guys's taking this this 
crazy journey with me and I, I've enjoyed it a lot and it's been its own reward and I hope the people listening have um, enjoyed it as well. But uh, let's get down to business because we've got a lot to talk about here, gentlemen. I will just say my last couple of months have been tumultuous and I'm really eager to get back to this, which I, I associate with um, stabler, happy times. And it's it's a pleasure to be back in the saddle with you guys one last time as we finish this season. So let's give out some awards, shall we? I mean, let's hand out the hardware. Hey, what are we, what are we calling this award show? Do we go with the stabbies? <laughs> I love that we've never decided on the name, right? Let's vote on it now, guys. Okay. I mean, people, people love process. People love to learn about process. This is how the sausage is made, folks. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. So in real time, live, let's say two nominees, the Slashy Awards or the Stabby Awards. Uh, I'm going to take a step back to either of you guys, like, want to spearhead the case for for one or the other i'm i'm stabby all the way it's all right it's silly and this is a this is a it's it's both silly and brutal at the same time uh and that is a a perfect encapsulation of what this genre does (laughs) well put well put vic uh agree disagree does anyone have any concern that, that the Stabbies alludes to the Stab movie franchise within the movie franchise of Scream? I have absolutely oh. no concerns about that. Have we gone have we gone so meta that we've that we've we've come out our own ass? Is that is that what's happened here? I did I just want to throw out I did suggest in the text chain uh, the galoots, but uh, that didn't seem like it got much traction. So with that if that's out of the running, then I will I will also vote for the Stabbies. Oh, it, it, it's in the running. Um, I don't think it has my vote, but unless Rich wants to change his mind, I was leaning towards the stabbies as well. Sounds like we have a consensus. It, Let's move it's carried. On. Motion oh. carried. <laughs> Holy shit, we made a decision. <laughs> All right. Let's get on with the show. The Stabby Awards is the winner of our first competition, our first vote. But uh, we've got a bunch of more categories to get through here, some of them whimsical, some of them serious. But our real ulterior motive is to take a look back at all of these movies we've experienced together and determine what stands out to us at the end of this long road we've traveled. And uh, that's really the goal of, uh, of the awards. And I do want to note that this is going to be an all-spoilers show. We, we're not going to go out of our way to ruin movies if we don't have to. But our assumption here is that you've either seen the 64 movies in the field or don't care about spoilers. If somehow this is the first episode of our show that you've listened to, uh, I apologize. And I will point out that we were spoiler-free for the first couple of rounds if you wanted to backtrack, but I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. We're not talking about any brand new movies here. Uh, and if we do, we'll, we'll pay a little extra, you know, attention to like X, for example, stuff like that. Uh, the newer films. All right. So the first prize of the night is for the cinematic trope with the most appearances in these films. And it's named for an actor who pops up in a lot of them. 
Here are the nominees for the Ted Ramey Award. One, an open window tells the audience that the killer is now inside. Two, the movie's characters are skinny dipping. Three, you think the wounded killer is down for the count, but he's not. Four, characters wandering around calling out their friends' names. And five, the girlfriend watches her boyfriend get his ass kicked by the killer. Anybody want to start us off here? Well, I just want to point out, and I know that we're actually going to, I believe Ted Raimi will make a, another appearance later on, but I do want to point out, if you check out a movie I wrote called Darkness Rising, it has a brief appearance by the one and only great Ted Raimi. So, uh, you know, I, did, I didn't get to meet him or anything, but uh, I, I don't know, I still think it's cool. Um, I'm going to put my, uh, my vote out initially, uh, and I'm open to, to being swayed in another direction. But the girlfriend watches the boyfriend get his ass kicked by the killer because that is really one of the most inexplicable things that just happens over and over again. We talked about it in Halloween, too. Funhouse is one that, that really uh, sticks out in my head where she's just standing there while the her boyfriend is, is getting the shit kicked out of him. I believe he gets killed. Hell Knight, another one. Boy, it just it's like you have these strong female characters who just inexplicably are like. Well, he looks like Steve looks like he's got a handle on this. <laughs> just gonna, I'm just gonna hang back. Rich, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, he's he's obviously right. It's it's a it's a big trope. I mean, I like how um how sort of like a kind of insidious that one is. Like, I, I don't think it stands out as being a trope. Whereas like skinny dipping is a is a classic cliche uh, of the genre and perhaps the most the most fun. Of, of all the, the mini tropes, I got to say, like, as 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 basic as it is, I don't know that I associate anything with slasher films more than wandering around and calling out your friend's name. <laughs> like, I feel like that is the that is the easiest way to invoke the, the, the spirit of a slasher film is to open up a, a screen door somewhere, step outside and ask where Billy is, you know? Yes. I mean, there's no other genre that really uses that trope, right? I mean, it's it's unique to this type of film. So, yeah, that's those are two very good arguments. And believe it or not, my choice was a different one. So we're going to have to figure this out. For me, the choice is three, where you think the wounded killer is down for the count, but he's not. And, and, and let me say why I, I landed on that, that one. I think... Halloween 1978 gets the credit for starting it. And to my mind, it might be the most obligatory trope in the slasher canon. Like almost all of these movies has the beat where the killer appears to be out and then proves not to be. Do you guys agree with that? Or are there a bunch of these where, or, or does that not fit with your memory of these films? John, having just seen The Evil Dead Rise with our good friend Rich, by the by, very good movie. Definitely recommend it. Thanks for the invite, guys. Yeah, you were you were in San Jose, buddy. Oh, OK. But I'm going to make the case uh, from the the honest trailer for The Evil Dead that the killer is down for the count, but he's not is something that applies well outside of the slasher genre, as that seems to be in The Evil Dead movies. 
like the only go-to trick that the, <laughs> the possessed people have is to pretend <laughs> to be dead or, you know, and then uh, wake up suddenly. So I agree that it is an obligatory trope, but that's probably that I think that extends beyond just slasher films and into other subgenres. Yeah, absolutely. I just realized that thinking about Evil Dead. And while you were talking, it also occurred to me that Leatherface never does this, by the way. I'm I'm 90% sure. Rich, uh, do you think that this is something that defines slashers or not as much as the Calling the Friends names? No, I mean, it's like, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly iconic. You know, I, I think that like the it seems like the the beat was sort of perfected by the by the the moment in Halloween. Obviously, they, they got so much attention at the the time of its release. I'm sure it probably existed uh, before that. No, I mean, look, these these are all like there's no denying that all of these uh, items are tropes and tropes of the of the genre. So I, I certainly wouldn't argue that that is not an element that is that is really a hallmark of these films i just feel that in terms of like what really places me in the movie and and maybe it's because it's the most relatable it's that it's that sense that like at any moment you know you may be feeling like you found yourself in a horror movie and if you are it's because you're experiencing that it's because you were out camping and suddenly you don't know where your where your friends are it's because you heard a creak downstairs and, uh, you know, but like you, you don't know where your, your roommate or your, your wife is like, you know, it's that <clears throat> you step out and like, you're alone, you're isolated, you're unprotected. And somewhere there's a tableau of corpses just waiting for you. You know, I like that. It's sort of like, it's leading to the, to the next act of violence as well. Um, as opposed to being like an act of violence itself. So mm. anyways, I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough. Like it's, there are no wrong answers here. Rich, Rich you've sold me. I'm down. I'm down for for wandering around calling out your friend's name. That's got my. It's got my right. vote. For the Ted Ramey Award. Yeah, I, I was gonna say the same thing. I mean, uh, Vic, not to not to shit on your nominee at all because it's totally okay. good as well. But say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You can shit all over lots of my other things. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, we've we've got a winner there. Let's move on. Um, I think uh, I think we hit the we, we landed on the right one there at the end. So thank you, Rich. Let's move on to the Halloran Award for the most useless character. Now, to preface, this is not to say that Dick Halloran in The Shining detracts from the film in any way. That's not a prerequisite for this award. But as we discussed when we autopsied the Kubrick movie, he makes a pretty negligible impact on the outcome of the story. And the idea here with this award is that the audience expects the character to matter in some meaningful way. But as it turns out, they kind of don't even make a ripple if you think about it. So bring that in context to these nominees. Number one, Sam, the abusive ex-boyfriend in Haunt. Number two, Joey, the little brother in the fun house. Three, Jerry in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Four, Sheriff Brackett in Halloween. Five, all of the characters in Fear Street 78. That's just a shot. And yeah, uh, Vic is flipping me off. And yeah, that's just, I'm taking a shot. But anyway, uh, 
six, Craig Peterson in Intruder, who is, uh, if you're not familiar with this character, uh, the abusive ex-boyfriend who, spoiler alert, is neither the killer or helpful to the heroine in any meaningful way. And Intruder is a 40-year-old movie, so hopefully that's not a spoiler. Okay, so it's hard to get away. I'm going to kick this one off. It's hard to get away from Sheriff Brackett as the template template setter in the category, along with really any Halloween 78 nominee in any category. Let's see if there's a better choice. Uh, Rich, what's your first thought here? Well, uh, I'd say that, like, I, I mean, just, like, to, to process it out, I'd say, like, it wouldn't be Craig Peterson in Intruder because – the thing about Halloran is that Halloran, like you, you have to track this long journey that ultimately doesn't pay off to anything. And if memory serves me correctly, <laughs> yeah. Craig, Peterson, Craig Peterson just shows up. Um, he's completely useless, but it's not like you spend, you know, a quarter of the movie watching Craig Peterson get to the grocery store. <laughs> um, you know, I, well, I he's around that... a lot. He's kind of a red herring for the killer, but but it's certainly he's, not he's, like Halloran's trip. He's around, but we never have to leave the location to, to like find out his movements. Whereas like like Jerry, I feel like Jerry's almost like too close. Like Jerry in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just like he's part of the cast. He's not this sort of like ancillary person on their own like special like arc to the to the location. So I'd, I'd eliminate him there. I'd say that the little brother in the funhouse is a pretty good contender because you're, yeah. you're constantly cutting to him. He's observing, I mean, it's been a minute since I watched this, but like, you know, he, he's looking at the funhouse from the outside. He's encountering other characters. He's getting like picked up by the parents. Like he has his own journey that has absolutely zero bearing on the, the outcome of the, of the final girl. So I, I guess he'd be my pick. Okay. Yeah. Well, well argued. Um, before we throw it back to Vic, this time I will say my choice is Sam in Haunt. And for a lot of the same reasons that Rich just listed, he exemplifies the concept for me because he is outside of the main character's story. He's really just backstory for the protagonist. And yet he has this kind of ticking clock, gun on the mantelpiece thing where you think this dude is going to show up in a big way at some point, but he never really does. I mean, yeah, sure, he shows up and and it immediately dies. I've seen the movie four times, and I couldn't. And six months ago, six months ago was the last time I saw it. I can't tell you how Sam dies. He just sort of exits the film with a whimper. They don't even like use his. He's you know the abusive boyfriend. Maybe they could get us on board with like a really cruel, wicked, vindictive kill involving a character who really deserves it. Like that would be a way to sort of at least justify this character. No, they don't do that. So that's why for me, it's Sam and Haunt. John, I hear all of that rationale and I understand. I'd spend a preposterous amount of time thinking about this category for some reason. My argument against Sam, because he's clearly the runner up to me, is that, number one, he is backstory. Right. Like he he plays a relevant, uh, if if kind of mysterious role in the the main character's uh, history. And uh, he doesn't have anywhere near as much screen time, I don't think, as the little brother does in the funhouse. 
And I feel like that's what really defines the Halloran Award, is how much time you spend watching them make this preposterous and useless journey. We do get some cuts to him in the truck when he's following like the GPS to get to her. Uh, but it's not, I don't think it's the same as the little brother sneaking out of the house, wandering along the side of the road, sneaking into the carnival, like seeing something weird and then getting taken and you think maybe he's dead. But no, he's just laying on the couch while the gypsy woman or somebody, you know, gives him a cold compress till his parents pick him up. I have to go with the little brother in the fun house. Uh, I think Rich is two for two. Woo, coming out of the gates hot. (laughs) Taking winners over here. (laughs) He's slinging fire tonight. All right. Uh, Yeah, um, I can't disagree with that. It, it, I don't remember it all that well, but I definitely remember that, yeah, Sam isn't on screen a ton. And it certainly doesn't get like, oh, my God, can we just stop showing him? So it's more just un, unfulfilled uh, potential. All right. The next one is the Tongue in Cheek Transition Award. And this is another slasher trope where the movie hard cuts away from violence, usually some screaming something loud and violence going on to a a similarly loud thing, but it's innocuous. It's like a blender. They can't hear the girl screaming in the woods because they're making margaritas, for example. Uh, I think that was Rich's example. It's a juxtaposition of things that sound the same, maybe even look the same, but one is violent and the other is humorously innocent. So I have two nominees. If you guys think of something else, please chime in. But uh, what we have right now is the cut from Muffin's apparent demise in Friday the 13th, part two, to an image, a close-up of hot dogs frying on a grill. And also from Friday the 13th, part two, we cut from Terry screaming, Muffin's owner, or human, or whatever you want to call her, uh, to a wailing guitar in the roadhouse. So there it is. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure The Howling has a couple of these, but it's not a slasher. Uh, I think Poltergeist may, also not a splasher, slasher, but I, I could only come up with the two, but it, it, it feels like something that, that we see a lot more than that. But uh, let's, let's go with these two. Vic, do you have a strong feeling? Well, I, so I thought there was one of these in Slumber Party Massacre as well. But I, I just couldn't identify it. And I don't know if the, like maybe they were making margaritas. I feel like there was a blender in that. <laughs> maybe I'm thinking of the drill coming through the door when they're like, oh, I was just drilling a new people, which just slays me. No pun intended. That's just the funniest fucking scene. <laughs> but, um, I will go. I'm going to go from Terry to the wailing guitar because I think that's uh, uh, sort of an audio trans. Well. Nope, change my mind. Going with Muffin to the hot dogs. <laughs> All right. Yeah, go with your gut, man, uh, especially when it comes to hot dogs. Rich? No, man, I'm going with the wailing guitar. You're nuts. Come on, that wailing <laughs> guitar, that thing is that's such a such a hot lick that's being put on that guitar. Man, that is such a clean edit. I'm getting a bunch well, of John, I think this one's yours guitar. to call then. Yeah, it's fun to be in a position of power for once here. What the hell? Let's keep Rich's hot streak going. 
Wailing lick over hot dogs on the grill. Okay, okay he's feeling John, himself. You just you, you, even at the award show, just anything you can do to get under my fucking skin. Yeah, it's a side benefit. It's a side benefit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, most ubiquitous face is our next one, and, and Ted Ramey might apparently have a stranglehold on this one since it's literally the reason we named another award the Ted Ramey Award because he shows up in so damn many of these flicks. But I think we have to take impact into account, too. I want to give you put that in your heads if it isn't already. It's not just number of appearances, but uh, memorableness. Okay, I know that's not a word, but let's go with it. The nominees are one, Ted Ramey, two, John Saxon, three, Caroline Monroe, and four, Tony Todd. Uh, let's start with Rich this time. I'm gonna go with John Saxon. Like now, well, I, I think Ted Ramey definitely probably showed up the most. Like if you're just going to do like a numbers game here, like it definitely wasn't Tony Todd. Ted Ramey probably showed up the most times. So I don't know. That, that would be like a, a technical award for him. But I'd say John Saxon was the most indelible of the of the repeated phrases faces, especially because it seemed like he was always playing a, like a slight variation on the same character. Like he's basically always like, like a grumpy dad cop. Except for the uh, well, he was the editor in the Tenebra. Tenebra. Yes. Uh, which was that was I felt sort of a different a different character. Um, I'm gonna vote for Ted Ramey purely for selling condoms in Blood Rage. <laughs> I, I don't like that was the that was the most fun appearance of any actor in any movie ever. <laughs> Ted Ramey selling condoms, everybody. All right. Well, I didn't expect that to be. Um a key criteria but I, i'm just gonna read you know because things are getting a little ridiculous here i'm just gonna read my notes on this okay and you're gonna have to trust me this is what i decided hours ago all right i kind of gave a spoiler there because ted ramey's characters rarely make a ripple in these movies and uh adding in real time vic i don't recall the condom scene sorry but the other actors in the category tend to play memorable roles so I'm not voting for Ted. I think at the end of the day, I got to go with John Saxon because he's a big part of numerous quarterfinalists and semifinalists in our tournament, as well as Black Christmas, which made the final four. Saxon is low-key iconic in the slasher verse for me. So it's John Saxon all the way, baby. This is bullshit. <laughs> He's going to flip his laptop I'm a, and storm down the stairs. Get Will Smith on Chris Rock with you, John. <laughs> you're lucky you're not in the same room as me. Yeah, I am separated from Vic uh, to our listeners by a good 20 feet and a flight of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> How so. can you not remember the condoms? Oh, God, never mind. Vic, I have a two by four sitting next to me, and I'm not afraid to use it if you come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move along. Uh, okay, best killer catchphrase. And, and Vic had a couple of late additions that I really appreciate here. Let's kick them off with number one from Silent Night, Deadly Night, Punish. Number two, I 
don't remember the, the the line read on this, but that's not cranberry sauce from Blood Rage. It's a classic. Uh, three, because you were home from the strangers. And four, we all go a little mad sometimes from Psycho. Strong category here. Um, I was... I was a little torn. I'll I'll cast my vote first because I haven't done that yet. It's punish for me. And it's not just a line that has taken on somewhat legendary status uh, for being weirdly funny, which I kind of think of that's not cranberry sauce being. Uh, but punish kind of also perfectly encapsulates the mindset of the puritanical slasher killer whose crimes are retribution for someone's behavioral transgressions which i think just definitely ties into the psychology of a lot of slasher killers so that's my choice not not totally married to it i am open to other arguments uh vic what do you think and i'm going to discard whatever you say but just go ahead for the sake of the audience oh no i know i know um i boy this is tough i mean i because i think uh, because you were home, well, I mean, it, I don't know if that technically qualifies as a catchphrase, but it is after this. I remember this after the strangers came out, they reprinted the posters with that line on the image of the, the, the three strangers sort of standing in front of Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler. So it really became associated with it uh, like a like a catchphrase does. It's fucking scary. Like, it's a really fucking, it's a really scary line, and especially the delivery. We all go a little mad sometimes is also, I mean, that, that sort of fits the same thing a little bit. It's not quite as scary, but it's it's definitely iconic. But I, I just have to say, I mean, I, looking at it, that's not cranberry sauce. That's, like, it's the only Thanksgiving slasher. And it, that line connects that that movie to Thanksgiving in a way that almost nothing else in the movie does. So I'm going to go with Blood Rage, and that's not cranberry sauce. I'm really worried because Rich is Mr. Blood Rage. So go ahead, Rich. What do you What do you think? <laughs> I got to I got to be honest with you. Like, but before anyone said anything, uh, my vote was going to be punished. Um, I, I, I'm with you. There is a there is a dumb like bluntness to punish <laughs> that really strips the whole glute mentality back to basics. And I mean, you, you're right that it does encapsulate, especially in that, that film, the the puritanical uh, rage is as you were saying. It's also delivery. Like I also like this is also a performance <laughs> note. And you know nothing against Anthony. Perkins, who, who I think if like if we were really gonna go with like best, most iconic catchphrase, like I would probably give it to, to Anthony Perkins for we all go a little mad sometimes. Me being like a, a slasher fan, like I Punish was actually stuck in my head. I didn't even remember that it was Silent Night Deadly Night until we watched it again. But I would still, but I could like quote that phrase to you because like. Just like that is the thing that that I retained from that film, and that that says something. Yeah, I mean, and just that, like, I could do the impression of it at this point, like, reasonably accurately, and I didn't exactly remember how to do the other ones. I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's not like I've seen 
Silent Night, Deadly Night markedly more times than some of these others. Now, I've only seen Blood Rage once. Like, let's, that's definitely um, should be noted. But yeah, you just know, like, punish <laughs> it's it's its own thing <laughs> okay so are you voting for punish or i it sounded like you were changing your mind once you heard Vic talk about it no no i'm i'm, I'm voting for punish i i appreciate the nod to, to blood rage no i'm sure blood rage is going to pick up some some metal tonight yeah I, I i think it'll it'll do fine okay well uh sorry Vic, you lose again so uh so this is what bill murray felt like at the oscars <laughs> The Susan Lucci of the Mark yeah. Mad Men podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, what's up next? Uh, worst Halloween sequel. Oh, I think you got this one, Vic. <laughs> now, wait, because this wasn't even in the competition. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh, thank God. I was like, I don't have this on my form. Is he just making this up? It was just uh, another um, somewhat veiled shot at Halloween H2O. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Thanks, John. Most unrealistic sports scene. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, softball in sleepaway camp. Two, basketball in slumber party massacre. And three, I actually didn't transpose this, Vic, but am I, let me paraphrase. Possibly volleyball in sleepaway camp, dot, 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 question mark, question mark. Rich, can you help us out with this? Because I know there was an awful volleyball scene. And it looked, from my research, that didn't include actually watching the movie again. It looked like it was in sleepaway camp. Do you remember? No, I'm trying to Google it now. (laughs) Well, we only had three months to to do this podcast but uh <laughs> yeah i googled uh, i googled it last night and and looked at clips and couldn't come up with it so i'm gonna i'm just gonna i'm gonna commandeer this and just vote for the basketball and slumber party massacre which was truly atrocious i've never seen a human being less comfortable dribbling a basketball <laughs> with the possible exception of michael j fox and teen wolf <laughs> Which is worth noting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, I I haven't played a ton of softball. I've shot a lot of hoops in my day, and I I will go with the basketball sequence as well. It it, it was truly laughable. Rich, uh, contrary view, or are you with the majority on that one? No, this is is definitely a sweep for (laughs) Sunday. All right. Best ultimate or penultimate, which means second to last. Uh, shot Thanks, and <laughs> well you know not everybody might know that i don't know so number scenes. one <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> i'm condescending to the illiterates in our in our uh, audience now anyway uh number one the freeze frame of naked angela in sleepaway camp that's a doozy Two, Pamela's head in Friday the 13th, part two. Three, the long tracking shot through the quiet sorority house at the end of Black Christmas. Four, hands across America from us. Strong category here, folks. Okay, Uh, Rich, opening thoughts. 
I'm going to choose to interpret the name of this award. It's, it's best ultimate or penultimate shot, not of a slasher film. It just leaves it open-ended so that that's it. You're talking about all of cinema. Best <laughs> ultimate. <laughs> and you know what? It still wouldn't change my answer. The answer is the freeze frame of Naked Angela and Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Tough to argue with that, but Vic, do you want to try? No, that scared that 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 terrified me for a large part of my childhood and and at least some part of my adulthood. Uh, and I I say that as a as a huge fan of the uh, especially the Hands Across America shot in Us. I mean, these are all really good shots. I think Pamela's head is kind of the just because they weren't able to pull off the eyes opening. Uh, so I think that's kind of in the the bringing up the rear here. Uh, but that I mean, the ending shot of Black Christmas we talked about for ages is a lot of good, a lot of good contenders. But yeah, nothing, nothing uh, upset my psyche quite like uh, Naked Angela and Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, I came into it thinking it was absolutely a slam dunk and I'm not going to disagree I was thinking it's got to be Angela, and I'll go with that. But a little love for for the Black Christmas shot, which you did mention, but that does chill me to the bone, that shot. It's not as shocking as the Sleepaway Camp shot, but it, it does get under my skin with its horrifying implications. So I came into this torn, but I'm perfectly happy to go with the obvious. So Angela it is. I mean, you you show that movie to any like anyone like at the first time that they see that film, and like that's the thing that you take like that movie has thrived yeah. basically solely on the existence of that shot. So I, I mean, yeah, and people are like, I mean, like deeply psychologically disturbed by it. I mean, people seem scarred after they've seen this film and and talk about it. Absolutely. I, I think I mentioned I showed this movie to normies some Halloween. And I mean, they're still talking about that shot. You know, it, it has that effect and it, it is justifiably immortal in a way that almost nothing, even as you said, across cinema, like doesn't linger with people like that shot. So, yeah, it's a crowning achievement of that film. OK, our next one is best weapon. And of course, we could interpret this in several different ways. Uh, when I wrote my note here, I said, you could nominate Freddy's glove or Leatherface's chainsaw for their iconic value, but nobody did. And then Vic went ahead and nominated Freddy's glove uh, after I wrote that. So, okay, no, totally fine. But uh, my nominees were for the most innovative and memorable weapons used by killers in less mainstream films. That's just my angle on it. So I'm glad Vic made some great additions here. Let's run through them. Number one, regional surgery trophy, well-sharpened, in Malignant, the circular saw in Haute Tension. <laughs> I've seen this thing uh, called a concrete saw, and I spoke to an ex-firefighter who, who likes this movie a lot, and he said that he's used that very thing to free people from car crash wreckage. Uh, but, but I don't think he called it a concrete saw. Anyway, we know what we're talking about. Uh, number three, the power drill in Slumber Party Massacre. Four, Freddy's Glove. Five, the bread slicer in Fear Street 94. And six, the pickaxe from My Bloody Valentine. 
3D. And I'll start us, and I'm open to change, but I, and I didn't consider VIX nominees, so, because I made my decision last night. I, my first thought is the power drill, because in Slumber Party and Driller Killer and the Toolbox Murders and other slasher movies, it's a primary signature weapon for more than one slasher which is interesting. I mean, sure, slashers have used machetes and stuff, but uh, and maybe they've even used chainsaws, but it seems like the, the power drill has transcended just Slumber Party Massacre, and it doesn't always make sense. I will note, though, in Driller Killer, they went out of their way to establish a battery pack for the drill, uh, so there was a little bit of plausibility there. But I just think, like, when you consider it, getting a drill through your brain is a pretty nightmarish way to go. And for me, it's worse to imagine than a machete or a knife. It's kind of more like eye trauma in that way. So uh, that's where I'm leaning. Vic, your thoughts? I mean, the the power drill for me, it's the the phallic symbolism is, is what makes that a, a contender. I really like the the use uh, that the miner has, uh, meaning a, a person who mine, right? Miner isn't that what they call him in My Bloody Valentine? Yeah, the miner, but not like not like a child, like a like a person well, who works in a mine. Just to be clear, like a uh, Harry Warden. Yes, I think of it. Uh, <laughs> like the, uh, except it's not Harry Warden. I like. I feel like they they got very creative use out of the pickaxe. There some very cool shots of people getting pinned to the ceiling with the the pickaxe under their chin and that kind of stuff. That's a real contender. But I'm going to throw out there that Freddy's glove is the only weapon that had to be constructed. Freddy Krueger thought of a way that he wanted to kill people, but that didn't exist and set out to make it uh, and then used it not just as a obviously as a weapon and to to do sort of terrible things i think especially tina's death really uh, uh drives home the potential of this for horrific things but also as a way of really frightening people uh you know dragging it across things and making the sounds and stuff so i i'm i, I just talked myself into it i'm gonna go with freddie's glove Compelling case, Rich. Does that sway you, or do you have a another idea going in that you're going to stick with? Well, I mean, I, I sort of a gut reaction, but I do want to point out something: is that you could really break this into two categories. Like, you, I, I don't know exactly what you'd call them, but for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them. There's, there's like a legacy weapon, right? Which, which is like the glove, the drill the pickaxe for Jason would be the machete for Michael would be the butcher knife. You know, like this is like the, the signature weapon. This is the thing that the killer lugs around and, and dispatches, you know, at least one victim in every film, um, if not multiple victims within the same film, but like it's the, the icon that they're known for. And then you have these like one-offs, like the circular saw is really just something that's used like in the moment. The, the trophy is just sort of like an in the moment. It's a um, it's an environmental kill, basically, like a thing that was accessible at the time. Those are two. Oh, like very hold on. Hold on one second. One second. Yeah. I want to say 
the killer goes to great lengths to fashion that weapon. And I'm pretty sure the killer uses that weapon a bunch, but not to derail your thought. I just want to say that's not like the concrete saw, though your point is well taken. Okay, fine. The bread slicer certainly fits in the same category as the, as the, as the concrete saw. But uh, yeah, I mean, you guys know what I'm saying. I mean, like this is like an, this is is like a, a, a thing that happens in like every horror film is that the, it's like the weird sort of like gimmicky prop that happens to be in the room, uh, the wood chipper or like whatever it is that they're able to use. So I don't know. There's a, there's a differentiation there. You know, that said, like, I think that this is a category that's, that's dominant on those signature legacy weapons. And to that degree, like I agree with Vic a hundred percent. I mean, like I can't really argue with, with Freddie's glove. Freddie's glove is so iconic that you can't remember a time when it wasn't just part of like the visual language of horror, you know, it is like, it is right up there. I mean, like children born today, just like must walk into a, uh, you know, like a, uh, a spirit Halloween store and just essentially, you know, believe that that is just a weapon that people use, you know, like it is just part of horror at this point. And, like, that's no small feat creating that, you know, whereas, like, the pickaxe is, like, sort of a variation on the on the the machete. Like, it's, you know, a piece of sort of outdoorsy hardware that has both, like, a brute force to it, you know, and can and can hurt you. But, like, there's a creativity to the glove uh, that can't be competed with. Yeah, and I can't argue with that. I mean, if we were purely looking at what's better, more clever, more memorable, more unique, whatever um chef's knife machete chainsaw even or freddy's glove i mean it's it's a walkover so i don't even not to disagree with one of your premises of what you were saying but i don't even think that conversation is worth having like the only reason to even debate this is if you open up the universe of like clever one-off kind of things that might have a chance of competing with freddy's glove uh, but you both convinced me it's it's got my vote. It 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 is definitely like I don't have it home. Um, hey, look, I, I have a fake machete. It's supposed to be Jason's, you know. But I've got the glove, you know. So it's uh, it it speaks for it speaks for itself. That Wes Craven man, he was it's pretty inventive. Pretty inventive. <laughs> Gotta give him props. Okay. Yes, That's I'm it. on the board. <laughs> Suck it, Evans. <laughs> oh bless your heart <laughs> okay uh best unmasked killer and do i need to preface this i i will just say take it however you want to take it. you know the nominees are the old lady in deep red slash profundo rosso uh played by clara calamai the old lady in x also known as Pearl, played by Mia Goth. Uh, three, Art the Clown in Terrifier. Four, Mark Soper as Terry in Blood Rage. And also Todd, but Terry is the killer. Oh no, is that a spoiler? I'm going to shoot myself. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Five, uh, Devil or Mitch from Haunt. I think there's even a third one uh, who takes their mask off and is really scary, but those are the two scariest ones, I think. And six, the deliberately anticlimactic unmasking. Looks like I, I spelled climactic wrong. 
How embarrassing. The deliberately unclimactic unmasking in the Hellfest finale. Okay, I'll lead us off here and then throw it to Rich. Uh, I think Art the Clown is almost cheating because it's not a mask, but he is heavily disguised by his makeup and costume. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go with Pearl because she's terrifying without being deformed or disfigured or outlandishly costumed or anything, uh, you know, that, that beyond her appearance is just really old and yet it's very disquieting. Uh, I love it. And it's, it's very effective. So that is my choice. And uh, Rich, do you, Agree with me, disagree, or do you want to just talk about politics or something? We can we can take a digression. We don't have to talk about this category if you don't want. I'm trying to think of somewhere to take that, but I got I got nothing. You know, um, who else is old? Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks. Um, you know, it's I'd say like I wanted. I wanted to go with the uh, with Hellfest. I actually like. I, I do feel like that is something that really stuck with me about that movie, and it's it's less of a performance or a a visual, and more that it's just this kind of like tonally perfect ending to that film. Like I feel like it could have easily been very uh, just like a little like canned or or corny, but it felt just right for that film and the way that the 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 killer kind of like settles in next to his daughter on the sofa and i think there's a stuffed animal involved and um yeah. you know like there, there's a there's a little bit of performance there that that, that gets it just right I, I really did love that that unmasking at the end of it it was the right tag that said um i have a hard time not going with art the clown and terrifier i mean it's a very performative piece but like i cannot argue with the i mean like that is the thing that really struck me about that film is the level of physicality and menace that was brought forth just with body language and facial expression um you know and a lot of gratuitous you know kills but like it was really watching the interaction of the characters and Art the Clown that was so unsettling uh, in that film. And I think that without his performance, that movie would have had no legs, really. Like, it just would have been, like, a kind of torture porny film. And matter of fact, I don't even think I would have liked the movie had it not been for that performance. And, uh, uh, yeah, gen genuinely disturbing killer. I think I may have outthought myself with my technicality there because... I certainly agree with everything you just said. Vic, what do you think? Um, I look, I agree. I think, look, he, Art the Clown is in the category. I mean, Rich, I essentially feel exactly the same way that you do. I think the Hellfest finale is pretty awesome. I think that's going to come up in a later category, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. I'm comfortable giving this award to Art the Clown. I agree. The, everything you said is absolutely spot on. Uh, he is, he is really the the driving force in that and kind of iconic it's incredible 
I think I'm the person that likes Terrifier more than either of you. So, uh, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say I talked myself out of that one, and I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm changing my vote. So let's move ahead and call it, for the record, a clean sweep. Okay, best kill. This is a big one. Uh, definitely. And we're coming right back to Terrifier. Number one, first nominee is Dawn being sawed in half. Two, Daria Nicolidi getting shot in the eye through the security peephole in opera. Three, the slow grind of an axe blade through a face in The Furies. Four, an arm getting chopped off and painting the room red, Tenebra. Five, Tom Savini getting his head blown off by a shotgun, Maniac. And six, the entire freeway sequence in Final Destination Part 2. A lot of great kills here. And too many more to mention throughout the 64 films that we reviewed this season. Uh, Vic, share your thoughts. This is tough, man. I mean, I the to me the the standout the the Daria Nicoletti kill is is impressive, largely sort of for the cinematography. Like it's an incredibly well staged kill. Uh, I think Dawn being sawed in half and Terrifier is certainly one of the top contenders. The axe blade through the face and the Furies, uh, and the the freeway scene in Final Destination Two. Those are the the three I'm I've been sort of wavering between. I don't know, guys. I Rich, do you do you what, what, what's your thought? Where's your head at on this? I actually am like I, I I am fundamentally opposed to Dawn being sawed in half in Terrifier. Like that is actually where that movie crosses the line for me. Um, <laughs> it's just uh. It's just too much, man. Like that, like that is just like that. That passes the level of, level of uh, visceral and being like torturous. Where I'm like, ah, like this isn't like fun anymore. Like this is just kind of like mean. Um, and so <laughs> I didn't really care for it. So I would, I would actually take that. Now, if you want to just talk about from like an effects level, like very impressive, but um, not my cup of tea. I mean, these are all pretty great to be honest, but I will say that, you know, for a franchise that's basically has effectively been around for at least 25 years at this point, I'm doing my math correctly. Certainly at least 20 years, final destination never did it better than that freeway scene. Um, Like, I think that if you want to talk about like the sort of like Rube Goldberg trap of, of deaths, like it never got the filmmaking, the intensity, the the setting up of the of the pieces and and the players. You know, it's it's still got a bit of that, you know, sort of like early aughts, late nineties alt sheen to it. You know, which I which I don't know that will make it a, a classic for years to come. But I think that the the dynamics of it, the the pacing, and the the way that they build a, a sense of suspense about it as opposed to it just being like a, an effect essentially that's shocking like makes it a really memorable scene about killing off your characters yeah yeah i i, I do want to say i think it's hilarious and fascinating that rich and i have we see the same scene 
And we see the same things in the scene. But for Rich, it's like, uh uh-uh, I'm done. And for me, it's, that's why it wins. And we're talking about Dawn and Terrifier. Uh, um, Yeah, this is the quintessential Art the Clown kill for me. Mind-blowingly wrong. So we agree. We see that. Uh, We probably would agree that it's very ballsy in that regard to, to actually do it. But I think that it's a lot more fundamentally simple and clever than a lot of the stuff Art does in Terrifier 2, for example. And I think that it's one of the most memorable things about that movie, Terrifier, and the things that everyone will remember, a la, to a degree, Angela at the end of Sleepaway Camp. Like, if you've seen Terrifier, you're going to remember that kill. And I just think it's a jaw-dropper, and, you know, we can debate whether it should exist in in cinema or not. Well, I'm... I'm okay with it in that movie and it's my choice because it, it definitely, wow, it's, it's disturbing and unique in the universe of slasher kills. So Vic, it's all on your hands, man. What do you think? I definitely lean more toward rich in terms of the, the dawn being sawed in half in terrifier. Uh, but I understand why you feel that way, John, and I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with you. My inclination is actually now having having listened to you guys talk to go with the axe blade through the face and the furies, which feels like splitting the difference because that is a brutal, unsettling kill. But like Rich, yeah, didn't quite cross that line into, you know, oh God. I don't I don't know if I want to watch this. <laughs> um, so uh but uh, uh since nobody else is is rooting for that I will go with Rich and 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 agree with the fight. Wait 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 can we horse trade for a second here? Um Vic because I was going to say this is the first time I I just totally disagree with you guys because I I think that the freeway scene is technically accomplished. It has some great moments. It's it's awesome, don't get me wrong. But I don't, it doesn't strike me as a best kill and no one element. I mean, maybe the log going through the cop car is like in and of itself that powerful to me. It's more just the virtuosity of the sequence. It might as well be the car chase and the French connection from from that standpoint. Um, so I want to say I can totally live with the slow axe grinding blade through the face thing because i think that that you you nailed it i mean i i think it kind of captures enough of why i think the terrifier kill is so good so uh, if we can can i change my vote and go with that all right okay done compromise you see that congress that's how it's done we compromised (laughs) vic and john like coming across the aisle to shake hands on something (laughs) all right Goodbye, debt ceiling crisis. By the time people listen to this, they'll be like, well, debt. Or, or perhaps the entire economy of the world has exploded, John. Who knows? Right, right. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's knock out one more before our, our break tonight. The slasher you least want to be murdered by. And um, I am sensing a theme here because uh, my first nominee is Art the Clown from Terrifier. But uh, this is the killer whose kills tend to be the nastiest, most painful, drawn out, whatever. 
Um, again, kind of leads you back to Art the Clown, doesn't it? Um, but our second nominee, Angela from Sleepaway Camp. I mean, she's got some doozies in there too. And three, I put Freddy Krueger in there uh, last night, and I wanted to say, if you think about it, getting killed in a way that fits your worst nightmare has got to be pretty horrible. I mean, he doesn't always kill you in that cruel of a way, but there's the potential for something uniquely personalized. Uh, the Cockroach Girl comes to mind in one of the sequels we didn't consider for this tournament, but um, Vic mentioned it before, the conventional kill with Tina in the first movie. I mean... She dies hard in that one, even if it's, you know, not personalized to her. It's vicious and prolonged. Uh, probably the most of any of the kills in the first, uh, in the four big franchises, as far as I'm concerned. If you guys think of something, uh, let me know. So I think Freddy belongs on the list. Um, so feel free, guys, put in your own nominees or let's go with these three. Rich, what's your vibe? Man, I wish I'm like I'm I'm trying to summon like a, a write-in vote for this, and you know nothing. No one is like immediately coming to mind. I guess like I I might throw like Candyman in the mix here. Like I I, I, I did always feel. Are you like fucking the, kidding me? We just not a slasher. <laughs> we just said Candyman wasn't a slasher. I was never on that camp. You never had me convinced. <laughs> I admit it was two years ago, but we did have this conversation, and he's <laughs> technically ineligible. <laughs> Sorry, right. that was two years ago. <laughs> you want, you yeah. want me to expect, you expect me to remember a conversation we had while drinking two years ago about? Candy well, I Man. hope you think we didn't just exclude Candyman because the movie's not worth it. I hope I hope we can agree on that. <laughs> but, in, um, but included Intruder. Right. right. <laughs> Sorry, Blood Feast was better than Candyman. Sorry, guys. Oh my God, I forgot about Blood Feast. Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, please continue. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm searching my, uh, I'm searching my, my memory here. But no, I, I guess I don't have another one to throw in the mix. I mean, I don't know. It's like I don't want to say Art the Clown just because of like where we've been in this conversation. But I, I don't have a better, I don't have a better argument. I mean, I, I, I take your point about Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger definitely toys with his victims, and you might have to listen to some pretty terrible dialogue depending <laughs> on which Elm Street film you're in. Um, right. You know, there might be like there might be puns involved in your death, and like that's not how you want to go out. So you know, there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, Please like, kill me, just no more puns. Please. <laughs> I mean, again, like like just basing it off of Terrifier One. I have not seen any of the other films, but just basing off of Terrifier One, like I would not want to be caught in the room with Art the Clown. Um, more than anyone else. So, um, uh, spoiler for you, Rich. He doesn't get nicer in the second movie. Okay. <laughs> the second one's actually a lighthearted rom-com. <laughs> it 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 does have some um more upbeat elements, more positive elements. I will say that, but he, the the murders are even more sadistic. Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and All Hallows Eve is a prequel? 
Uh, no, I mean, I think it, it came out first. That was the sort of introduction of this character in an anthology I film. See. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Okay, okay. All right, By the well, way, I, I, apropos of nothing, I just want to say there's a, a he murders a woman in the second movie, um, and it has nothing to do with her vagina. But I was actually more offended or horrified or enough of this by that, by far, than the previous kill that we talked about. You know, because it's just like, it just he just keeps like peeling skin off of her, and uh, you know, it, it's not clever at all. It's not anyway. I let's not get into that. But I don't love the second one, even though you could say it's a vastly more feminist movie. Um, because of the way the story plays out or whatever, but it doesn't matter to me in that regard. It's, it's a much more objectionable, objectionable film if we want to get into that, but okay, go on, go ahead. I'm going to make the case that Angela is the killer. I would least want to be murdered by uh, m- partly for the reason that art, the clown at least has a gun. And so, like, there's a chance that Art might just shoot you, you know? Angela dunks that the pedophile in the boiling water. I mean, that's fucking horrifying. Yeah, if you want to talk about vaginas, she's not so kind in that regard either. Yeah, the yes. And, the, well, I was going to say the, the bees, the kid that's allergic to bees. Uh, uh, I don't know. Angela seems a little more varied. I feel like she, I, think, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still woman. What? We don't we don't have a woman handy right this second. But if you asked, would you rather be chainsawed through the vagina or have a curling iron stuffed in there? I I think that's probably not like a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. going I'm going with Angela. I forgot about the curling iron actually. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean that's a big reason why she's there <laughs> for <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I was I, I'm still like I just think the 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 cook getting the oh. boiling water splashed on him and like the the shots of that are really like that really that was really upsetting. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, she totally belongs here. I'm still going with Art. Um, Rich, did did you already vote or decide it one way or the other? I voted for Art. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you did you did say that. Yeah. Um, you can't really think of someone who drags it out more sadistically than him. So that's why it's kind of a no brainer for me. Uh, okay. Dude, this well, is, uh, this is fixed. That's what this is, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is rigged. This is a rigged vote. Vic, and you didn't even remember the curling iron, man. Rudy, Come Rudy on. And I are going to get to the bottom of this YouTube, just so you know. <laughs> See you at the Four Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I need to water the daisies and maybe reload the beverage, and uh, we'll see y'all in a few. Oh yeah, back from the bathroom, grabbed myself a Broken Skull IPA. It just—it's not really horror appropriate because it's like a Steve Austin thing, but uh, this is an El Segundo. Brewing Company IPA, but we got a lot of broken skulls in our slasher movie season, so that's what I went with. And Rich, uh, 
I'm, I'm just curious. Is it uh, sparkling water, tap water? Is there like a hint of lemon in your water? Tell us about it. I am drinking a uh, I'm drinking a lime bubbly uh, tonight. Mm. Uh, not not one that I would go out of my way to. To I will say that the Spindrift Blood Orange. Oh, that's what I should have been drinking tonight. Mm. Um, if you if you want a non-alcohol sparkling beverage with just a hint of juice. The Spindrift Blood Orange is a fine choice. I've been to all of you water life. connoisseurs out there. The March Mad Men, we have a wide tent, you know? <laughs> you can, we have a big tent, and if you want sparkling water recommendations, you can get it here, too. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And if you have chocolate milk recommendations, Sawyer is back. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, Vic, how about you, man? Uh, I am, uh, John, I, you know what I'm drinking. I'm drinking a, a delicious Delirium Nocturnum Belgian ale that John brought me in exchange for using uh, uh, my house for the evening, uh, which I'm thrilled for. And uh, yeah, it's delicious. Good stuff. Say I never do anything for you. All right. Let's, let's forge ahead, gentlemen. We've got a ways to go. So uh, next award... This is also a notable one, pretty weighty. It's best ending. And here's where we're back to Hellfest to kick us off with number one, the other giving his daughter a stuffy from the park. It doesn't sound great if you don't know the movie or what we're talking about, but as Rich alluded to before, it stands out. It's pretty special in this universe of films. Two, the corpse crotch grab which you don't have to have seen to get, but it's from Pieces. But you should see it because it's fucking bananas. Three, the killer left in the house with the sleeping final girl. Uh, do I have to tell you what movie that was? Well, it's Black Christmas. And four, Leatherface's gyrations with the chainsaw, accompanied by Sally's hysterical laughter from Sleepless in Seattle. Just just making sure you're still awake, everybody. Five, Michael's Missing Body, Halloween, 78. And six, The Strangers Driving Off, accompanied by the line, it'll go better next time. From Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> Super subjective here, but uh, let's, let's hear what folks think. Actually, I'll, I'll get the ball rolling. I think you can make a defensible decision based on multiple types of criteria. Are we looking for immortality and influence here? Are we looking to honor balls out insanity? Uh, something that's the most surprising ending, the most unsettling long after you watch the final credits and you find yourself still thinking about the movie. I, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to say that I got to go with Leatherface and Sally because uh, for me, it's the most unique, unforgettable combination of visuals with a disturbing emotional impact and some haunting ambiguity as well. And I can elaborate on that, but uh, for now, I'll leave it there. And uh, Vic, weigh in, bud. John, I, I would have gone with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre had you not used the phrase Leatherface's gyrations. <laughs> um, <laughs> did it remind you of Roland twerking because I saw some of that today 
Yes, to our listening audience, my youngest son thinks twerking is the funniest thing he can do. He will often twerk out of a room when he leaves, and it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, I will say, like, I want to give my uh, my honorable mention, I think, to the other giving his daughter the stuffy from the park, from Hellfest. Uh, for all the reasons that, that Rich mentioned when uh, he did not choose this for the, uh, was it best penultimate shot or ultimate uh, shot? Best unmasked killer. Ah, know. that's it, yeah. But uh, uh, also I think because that that ending really stands out from what is otherwise a, a kind of a conventional slasher film, and it really gives it a little bit of spice. And I don't think you can say that about many of these these other films. But I have to go for all the same reasons that John said with Michael's missing body in Halloween. I just think the 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 missing body followed by all the shots of the the empty house, the houses, all the places that Michael's been, the music. I mean, that really leaves me unsettled and and just really uh, uh, changes changes the way you look at the whole film in retrospect uh i i think it's the strongest the strongest choice strong words from the big man all right rich what do you but also think? also no gyrations <laughs> Can you imagine if donald pleasance was gyrating when he saw his body was gone gyration free sequence there's no doubt about No twerking either. No twerking by Donald Pleasance. <laughs> <laughs> Much to my chagrin. All right, Rich, uh, you're you're in the catbird seat or the pole position or whatever euphemism we want to use here. Uh, the gavel is in your hands. I believe I expressed this at the time. Um, in my opinion. I don't think that there is a better, you know, again, this is so closely related with like the, the final frame shot we were talking about, but uh, I, I mean it when I say like, I can't think of a better ending to pretty much any horror film than the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, that, it, it, not only is it the culmination of all of this sort of like claustrophobic, kind of like choking like mania that you experience in the last act of that that movie that suddenly literally busts loose from the house and runs just like, just with like the real spinning as this character is kind of like spit out into the world and has this very like, kind of like tactile, like struggle to like get into a car on the road. But then like the way that it's shot and the, the performance um, both in terms of like Leatherface and Sally, like it's all just like energy and vibe. Nothing about it feels planned or contrived. Like it is the horror equivalent of jazz. Like it just is feeling itself and it's capturing a real moment. Like that movie is alive at the end. Um, I love the ending of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You, you cannot top that. It, it very eloquent uh, and and very convincing. I just I just have one question. Does does John have like pictures of you with like a pygmy goat or something? Like, are you being blackmailed? You can just blink. We're on video. You blink and and I'll know. Uh, uh, I have a question for you too. Um, 
why are you so upset? I mean, you didn't come in fourth, so you're doing great, bud. I mean, there's no shame in third. It's all good. (laughs) (sighs) All right, moving on. (laughs) We're done. We're going out like we came in, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, we sure are. Uh, well, better luck next time, and next time is now, because we've got best cinematography. Not so fast there, Johnny boy. We're going to pause this episode right here and pick it up next time. Plenty more stabbies left to be handed out, including most unintentionally funny scene and best on-screen killer. Until then, adios! Adios!